My name is Christian. And I'm Rob. And this is Faith 168. There are 168 hours in every week. And in those 168 hours, we need Jesus to make it through. So join us every week as we share devotions, talk about standing boldly in the Word of God, and answer tough questions submitted by you, our listeners. Welcome Welcome to to Faith 168. Uh, If you will, turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first five verses today. So, uh, 1st through 2nd Timothy and Titus, uh, these were three letters written by Paul referred to as the pastoral epistles. Uh, They were written to men in pastoral roles rather than to churches, but they were not primarily to describe, uh, uh, but they were not written primarily to describe church structure or pastoral ministry, uh, which is contrary to a popular opinion on that. But they were written to teach Christian living in response to the gospel. And so as we look at these different letters, including uh, 2 Timothy, a lot of times we have this excuse when we read it. Well, Paul is talking to Timothy, and I'm not Timothy. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a a lay leader uh, within the church. But we can't use those excuses to not apply these scriptures to our lives. Though they were written to men in pastoral positions, these are letters that can be applied to every Christian's life. Because we have the same commission as Christians that these men in these pastoral positions had. And that was to preach the gospel. That was to witness. And all of these things that... Paul writes and shares with these different people were ultimately to serve the goal of reaching a lost and dying world. So we can't use the excuse, I'm not Timothy. Uh, So take Timothy out of the equation today and pretend that this is a letter that's being written to you by Paul, a letter that is charging you to go forward into the ministry. So it's not meant for just a pastor alone, but for every follower of Christ today. And today, Christians, this is your charge in the ministry. But before we go into the scripture today, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Bow with me, please. Father, I thank you for bringing us here today uh, to worship you. And you are worthy of worship and praise. Father, today as we go into your word, uh, help us to put all distractions aside. Help us to focus on what you are speaking to our hearts and take my words and make them yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's go ahead and start with 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. And Paul writes this, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. So this charge that Paul is giving to Timothy, and in in, uh, 
as we look at it a little bit further, this is a charge that Paul could be giving to us as well. It has authority. Paul's not giving his opinion. Paul's not saying this is uh, something that I would really like you to do or this is a plan that I have come up with, but this is a charge that has authority, bringing to mind that this charge is a call to action and to respond, uh, in response to who it's before. And who is it before? It is before God and it is before the Lord Jesus Christ who have given all for us, thus what should we do? Give all for them. That's the action that when we take in the truth of the scripture, when we take in the sacrifice of Christ and everything that he gave for us, what we do is we either reject it and run the complete opposite way because that sacrifice and his goodness and his holiness brings to light that we are sinful and that we need him. And let's just be honest about this. We as people, we as humans, oftentimes are prideful and we don't like to accept help. And so we either come to this understanding when we see the sacrifice of Christ and that he has given all for us, we run the other way and reject him, or we accept his gift of salvation, of eternal life in him, and that he sacrificed himself for uh, for our sins on the cross of Calvary, and in return, it changes our life completely. And as he has given himself for us, we give ourself for him. In Romans 12.1, Paul also writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you rep- uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If you remember a couple Sundays ago, we talked about how uh, submitting ourselves to God and being a living sacrifice to God is our reasonable service because he gave himself as a sacrifice for us, so should we give ourselves a sacrifice as a sacrifice for him. And so again, as we go on, this, this charge has authority. This charge is before the judge who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And who, does, who do we look at and, and find out is the judge of mankind? It's Jesus Christ, right? We read in John chapter 5, verse 24 through 29, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And so this charge is 
from God the Father. This charge is before the Lord Jesus Christ. This charge has authority because it comes from the judge who judges the living and the dead who will separate as we see in Scripture the goats from the sheep, those that are lost from those that are saved. And when we have to understand this. When we come before that moment of judgment, it's not that Jesus is glorying in the fact that he is sending people to hell. I think the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you, are the hardest words that Jesus will ever have to say. And why is that? When Jesus says the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you, that is a sentence that he gave you every opportunity in this life not to hear. He took, he took the penalty of sin. He died on the cross. He came in the weakness of the flesh. He rose from the grave to promise us new life. He did everything he could to get our attention. He left his holy word for us to uh, read and get close to him. He gave us his Holy Spirit uh, to, to lead, guide, and direct us. And uh, that in turn should lead the church to go out and witness the people, to share the gospel. So he gave us every opportunity in this world to take a step from death into life so that when he came to the point of judgment and judging who is alive in him and who is dead in the world, that he wouldn't have to say those words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. And this is why this charge is important for Christians. Because as scripture tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That means Christians have to get up out of the pews on Sundays after we leave here. Sunday is, is a time where we come together, we are encouraged, we are strengthened, and then we walk out these doors and we preach the gospel to this lost and dying world because God does not want to say those words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. And here's the charge. The charge starts with the basics. Preach the word. Preach the word. Whether the people accept it, whether the people reject it, we must preach the gospel to all mankind. And then this is our commission. Who remembers Matthew 28, 19 through 20 as Jesus gives this commission? This is a commission that falls upon all believers, all followers of Christ. Where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We see also in Romans 1.16, uh, as we preach the gospel, here's what happens to Christians uh, that feel that call, that are under that commission to preach the gospel, this is what we should look at right here where Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. So ultimately, when we take in the great commission that Jesus has said, go therefore to all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be with you through this. I'm going to help you go through this. When we ignore that commission, what are we ultimately saying? 
that the power of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of salvation, I am ashamed of it. And is that not true? Let me ask you this. This hits, this hits me just as much as it hits any of you, I promise you. So as I say this, I'm going to ask you a question. When was the last time you preached the gospel to someone? When was the last time you shared the word of God and called someone to repentance and to belief in Jesus Christ? And so a lot of times when we think about that, that really steps on our toes. Why? Because as we're thinking about it, sometimes we can't remember. Sometimes we even think about it like, have we ever actually really done that? that that's a, a thing that we really go through, right? And then I want you to ask yourself, if you're thinking, when was the last time I did that? What is keeping you from preaching the gospel? What is keeping you from presenting your faith to this lost and dying world? Every one of us knows someone that does not believe in Christ. Every one of us probably even knows someone that's hostile towards faith in Christ. What stops us from preaching the gospel to them? Rejection? Fear that they're not going to accept us anymore? And if we're more worried about their rejection, that means that we're ashamed of the gospel. And that really humbles me a lot of times. I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down by someone or I met someone and I felt the Holy Spirit say, reach out to them. They need to hear my word. Call them to faith in me. Preach the gospel to them. And instead, I got scared. I, I started thinking of society. Well, it's not normal to go up to someone in a grocery store and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Because we're living in this day and age where you don't really talk to people in public. You do your thing, they do your their thing and you stay six feet apart and I use that excuse more than I probably should and then I realize after those moments man why why do I feel so ashamed to share the gospel this world's conditioning Christians that their faith is what's wrong with the world their faith is what's wrong with this country and that their faith is needing to be shut down. So I encourage you to take a step from this shame that the world is putting upon us. Stop looking at the opinion of the world. Because ultimately what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 is that the world, they didn't die for our sins, did they? They didn't rise from the grave to promise us new life, did they? They don't, they don't forgive our sins. They don't lead us. They don't guide us. They don't correct us. They don't give us eternal life. Why does their opinion matter? It should only be the opinion of Christ that matters. Be ready in season and out of season. We must always be prepared to share the gospel, which means that we must meditate in the word of God daily. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 15 through 16 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. One reason sometimes, too, going past the shame part of the gospel, feeling like the world's going to reject you, 
And so we, we avoid sharing the gospel at that moment. The next part of that is sometimes we don't share the gospel because we don't know how to. When I played sports in school, I was really into the sports, right? Terry, were you in the sports at all, ever? Not going to go college or do anything like that for sports or anything? Wasn't really your thing? Okay, yeah. Small little guys, you know, no. <laughs> but Terry, you were into your sport, right? And you didn't just show up to game day unprepared. Because if you showed up the game day, you had your helmet, you had your pads, but you had none of the knowledge of the sport. You didn't put any practice or effort in, and they threw you out on the field, and they said, hey, we're going to do a trap left or a trap right. What would you do if you hadn't put any effort in, hadn't practiced, hadn't done anything like that? Right. For lack of better words, yeah. You would fail. You, you would stumble, you would trip up, you would cause other people uh, to be affected by that, right? But we as, as people in this world, even Christians, we put so much effort into our jobs, we put so much effort into our hobbies, preparing for those, knowing everything about those, and then we're so glad to say, hey, I can knit a sweater. Hey, I can play football. Hey, I can wrestle. Hey, I am a good drawer. Look at how much effort and, and time I have put into this. And I know everything about this. And we boast that to the world. But when it comes to our faith, how much time do we put into our faith? How often do we wake up in the morning and read the Bible? Do you know a majority of Christians have never actually read the Bible? All the way through, they've read bits and pieces, but never have read the whole Bible. How long would it take you to read the whole Bible if you just took 30 minutes of your day and read the Bible? It would take, someone better know this, I've said this several times. Anybody know? Six months. Six months, you could read the Bible twice in a year if you, instead of taking time to focus on a hobby for just 30 minutes or taking a little bit of social media time away or taking a little bit of TV time away each day and decided to take 30 minutes a day just to read the Bible without stopping. And I encourage you, just read the Bible. If you have a question about it, mark it, but keep on reading. Just continue to read through it. And when you get to the end, flip back to the beginning and read it again. 30 minutes a day, you can read the Bible in six months. You can read the Bible twice a year and then as you continue reading the Bible meditating on the word you will be ready in season and out of season and when the world comes at you and says why do you believe what you believe you will have an answer why is Christianity on a steep decline because even the Christians the people that call themselves Christians don't know why they're Christians so why would the world want to follow Christ if those that claim to follow Christ have no idea why they're following Christ. Be ready in season and out of season. Here's where it gets even more difficult. Convince, rebuke, exhort. We must first convince people that scripture is true. When it comes to witnessing, we can't just say, Hey, look, you better start following the scripture, you dirty, rotten sinner. Sounds fun to say it sometimes, but don't, don't do it. 
Has anyone ever seen someone outside of an abortion clinic? Big signs saying probably things like, hey, you're, you're dying and going to hell, things like that. Or going to colleges and yelling at the kid that's smoking a cigarette and saying, hey, uh, you're going to burn in hell like that cigarette, things like that. Have you heard those things before? It's very popular, actually. A lot of people do like to do things like that. You can't call a world to live scripture that they don't believe in. I, I use this example. We're going through, we're going through our apologetics lessons on uh, our Wednesday night brotherhood and, and WMU nights. And I used this last, last week. But what if I asked you today? Or no, let me rephrase that. What if I told you today? You're all sinners. You're all going to hell if you don't put your faith in Allah. Who knows who Allah is? God of Islam. That's, it's actually a word for God that means God, but that's what you read in the Quran. That's how they express the name of God. They say Allah. But if I told you today... You are awful, you are wicked, and you're not living to the word of Allah. Just stop doing what you're doing and follow Allah. What would you say? You'd probably look at me like I'm crazy. You can't tell me what to do. And why is that? Because you don't submit to the Quran as truth. Or at least, I hope not. If you do, talk to me afterwards. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And so, why do we as Christians... Use the same tactics of these cults, of these, these false religions, going up to people and saying, you have to live the word of God, you dirty, rotten sinner. You can't do it. Because they first do not adhere to Scripture as the ultimate authority in their life. So first, if we're going to witness the people, what must we do? We must convince them. That scripture is truth. And that's the, this is where I would say, hey, please come to our WMU and Brotherhoods because guess what? I am going to help prepare you and give you some resources that you need to convince a lost and dying world that the word of God is the truth. Yeah, some people may just take your life experience. Some people, it might be a little bit easier for them to put their faith in the word of God as the ultimate truth. Some people are more trusting, and that's great, but a majority of the world, they want the fact check, right? So Christians must be ready to convince people. Rebuke. It goes in this order. Convince, then rebuke. Then we must rebuke any false doctrines that are present in their life. And after we rebuke those false doctrines, finally we must exhort the new believer or the rebuked, inviting them to put their faith in the only one who can save them from eternal condemnation. Don't rebuke first, because if you rebuke first, then you cannot what? Convince. Anybody ever yelled at a kid uh, and thought that it was going to work out? I'm not saying, hey, don't yell at your kids or anything. But when you yell at a kid, how, how often does it work out for you? Briar, get your hand out of the cookie jar. He's still probably going to try and steal cookies if you just yell at him. First, you must convince him, why should you not eat the cookie? Then he usually would have a better response. Briar, don't eat the cookie. It's going to ruin your supper. Does it not work? Doesn't work? Okay, Briar would be a bad example. for. No, I'm just kidding, but 
No. But if you start explaining these things, it might not work completely at first, but if you explain, hey, the reason you can't eat your dinner is because you keep stealing cookies out of the cookie jar. Uh, and, and, and you want to eat dinner, but you're already full because you're, you have all this sugar and, and, and all these cookies in you right now. So uh, you need to stop eating the cookies so that you can finally eat your dinner. And then maybe you can have a cookie after dinner. I don't have cookies for you, Brian. I'm sorry. Don't rebuke first. Because if we rebuke, just like kids, the world will rebel. They will rebel. They will stop listening to you. Because people don't hear you when you scream, do they? You can scream and scream and scream, but if you're like me, if you're in an argument with me, you're telling me what to do and you start screaming at me, I shut off. Does anybody else do that? Am I the only one? No. Okay, I'm not. You do that, Briley? I know that. I know that. All right. Do not exhort first. All right? Because what happens if we exhort first? For um, if we exhort before rebuking, what we're going to do is we're going to get into this habit of saying, don't worry about your sin. Don't put sin to the side. Don't, don't repent of sin. If we exhort them first, what it pretty much says is that grace is a license to sin. And that's actually kind of one of the biggest things within Christianity in America. We've got this progressive Christian movement where they don't worry about sin. They don't adhere to the word of God as the authority over their life. And then all of a sudden, we get all of this exhortation before people even really repent of their sins. We must convince them that uh, the word of God is true, that Jesus is who he says he is. We must rebuke the false doctrine that the world has tried to instill in them and then we must lift them up we must exhort them into walking in the newness of life and we do this with all long suffering because this isn't just a hey this it's just gonna we we follow these these steps and it just happens like that we do this with all long suffering because god suffered long with us he suffered long with us in our sins so we should be long suffering with the world in their sin. So stop hitting people over the head with Bibles. That's pretty much what I'm saying. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is God's will. He wants everyone to be saved. That doesn't mean everyone is going to be saved, but His will is that all should come to repentance and for all to come to repentance the christians must step up and they must do their job right to do their job right you must be committed you must show up to church you must read your bible daily you must put effort into your faith just as you put effort into other things in this world and become successful if you want to be successful in your faith put time put value on your faith Verse 3 through 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. This is another big reason why we have this charge. Between the time Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father until his return, the world will become corrupt. 
They will follow false gods. And we see that in American culture today. Not just That's not something that's just present in other countries. In American culture, we see that. We see people that follow celebrities. We see people that follow politicians. We see po- people that follow that people that have wealth and social status in their communities. We see people twisting scripture into a form that is opposite of the truth and doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our charge is important because that is very, very present in this world. There's a lot of different things you can look over, a lot of different beliefs. But here's something to take it. I know I, I'm gonna, it sounds like I'm going to be harping on Islam today. But Pew Research did this study that the religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. In the Pew Research Center telephone, uh, in Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 2019, 65% of American adults described themselves as Christians when asked about their religion, down 12 percentage points over the past decade. Meanwhile, the religiously unaffiliated share uh, of the population, consisting of people who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, now stands at 26 percent which is up 17% from 2009. Also, according to Pew Research, Muslims will grow more than twice as fast as the overall world population between 2015 and 2060. In the second half of this century, it will likely surpass Christians as the world's largest religious group. The idea is that by 2050, they will become equal as the world's largest religious group, and then by 2060 they will surpass Christianity altogether. The most anti-Jesus religion is projected to surpass Christianity. The Koran has over 123 verses that call for fighting and killing anyone who does not agree with the statement there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. They will literally torture people in the Middle East over this. They kill Christians in the Middle East because of this. You see, here's the difference between this religion and our faith. Is our faith calls people to repentance, but if they don't repent, we say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. We leave the judgment up to God. But the danger of Islam being the world's leading religion is that they don't wait on Allah. They go ahead and do the judging themselves. And their judgment is harsh, it is swift, it is brutal. And if you don't agree with them, you will not be on the face of this earth much longer. This is my lifetime. 2060 is my lifetime. Thankfully, I'll be an older man. But guess what? I've got a daughter back there. We've got little children in here. This is going to be one of their biggest fights. So what should we do to help out with that? We should start fighting a little bit harder against these things. I'm not saying go punch a a somewhat of a different faith in the face. I'm saying start preaching the gospel and its truth. Start start putting uh, value on your faith. And when you put value in something and people see that, what happens? Exactly. Yeah. What what she meant right there is other people will notice that and they will want a piece of what you have. 
So we go on in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, kids under Mark, mark that one, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Also in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 2, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, but the days of Noah were, uh, were, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And we see what that was like in Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. A wicked, dark world needs light. I'll say that one again. A wicked, dark world needs light. And who's called to be the light? Christians. Matthew five fourteen through 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And then finally, verse 5. I know I've gone a little bit longer today. I guess we're not going to Wendy's after church, Katie. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And so today I call you Christians to do the work of an evangelist. To endure these afflictions. To be watchful in all things and fulfill your ministry. Your ministry might not be that you are a pastor. Your ministry might not be that you are a Sunday school director. Or that you get up here and lead the music. But your ministry as a Christian, first and foremost, this falls on everyone, is to preach the gospel to the lost and dying world around you. This is the work of an evangelist. And we are all called to evangelize. We are called to convince. We are called to rebuke. We are called to exhort with all long suffering. We are called to preach the word. We are called to be ready in season and out of season. And this isn't easy work. The devil wants people to believe that faith means comfort in this world. But it's the opposite. I can promise you one thing. That in a battle you will find adversity. There's nothing pretty about war in this world, right? We're watching this, this conflict between Russia and Ukraine as they're going back and forth. Thousands of people are dying. Cities are being destroyed. There's turmoil in all of the world. People are starting to pick sides. We don't know exactly what's going to happen from this. We pray for the best, but we still experience affliction during this time. If war in this world is... Not easy. If war in this world is dirty, what do you think spiritual warfare will be like? You're going to endure affliction. Second Timothy 3.12 Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Don't be fooled. 
We suffer a little bit here in this world, but the suffering we experience in this world does not compare to the glory we experience in eternal life in Christ. John 15, 19, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I don't know if anyone's ever hated you, but if someone hates you, what do they usually do? They try and bring you down. They talk bad about you. Maybe they even physically attack you, however they want to express their hatred for you, but they don't just let you be. Matthew 24, verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. We're blessed in America right now that we don't face that type of persecution. But that's when we realize if our faith is really genuine. Right? Twelve apostles were persecuted severely, killed. One was exiled. One survived his persecution, but was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. But they died for their faith. They were given a chance to renounce their faith. They were given a chance to be quiet. And when they found out that they could be killed for their faith, they didn't quiet down, but they spoke all the louder. And what we see in America today in the church is when the world says, will you please be quiet or we're going to reject you? We're just going to reject you? Then the church goes silent. Men and women have died for the faith. We talk about the American flag. I believe in standing for the American flag myself because so many people have died for this country to secure the freedoms that we have and we stand and we respect that. But more than that, our faith, so many men and women have put their life on the line and have died and have been brutally murdered to present this faith throughout the world. And just like we spit on the veteran's sacrifice when we refuse to stand for the American flag. We spit on the sacrifice of our brothers and sisters who died presenting the word of God. And that's worse. That's worse than any worldly flag that we fly spitting on that sacrifice. I know that might sound unpatriotic, but I'm more worried about this than that. So Christians, stand strong in your faith. Be a light in this dark world. Fulfill your ministry. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And lost today, I invite you, if you're here today or maybe you're watching a little bit later on, put your faith in Christ. I want to read one quote real quick by C.S. Lewis. He's the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, and he wrote several different apologetic writings, uh, one of them being mere Christianity. But he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. All you must look at is Jesus. Jesus either is who he says he is, or he's a raving lunatic. Today, if you were lost, you have not put your faith in Christ. I invite you to make the choice. And if you need more convincing, please, if you're on Facebook, message us. If you're here, come up here and question me. Talk to me about Jesus. I'll give you the evidence. I will give you the reason for my faith. And I encourage you, if you're a Christian here today, that you be ready to do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this body of believers. Help us as we leave here today to stop focusing on the world and what will happen to us if we stand strong in our faith for you. And just start focusing on your kingdom and bringing people to your saving grace. Father, if there's someone lost in our lives, help us to be a witness for you. Father, if there's someone in the grocery store or at our jobs, wherever we may be, that doesn't know about your saving grace, use us as a witness to testify of your salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Every week has its trials and tribulations, and we want to encourage you to seek Christ during those times. We want to pray for you during those times. So look us up on Facebook by typing in Faith168 Podcast and send us a message. It can be a prayer request, or maybe you want us to answer a question that you've been contemplating. Just send us a message. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you again in 168 hours.